Hello and welcome to the 2020s. This is the Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM or on one of our much appreciated radio syndicate partners or on the podcast at greenmajority.ca. I'm David Hostetter, Stefan Hostetter, Sarah Kaster. Lauren Latour can't join us today, unfortunately. And it is a fresh year and it is a fresh decade. Yes. Uh, and, and to close out the decade, uh, thank you to all of our listeners, because w- the CIUT made the $100,000 fundraising goal. So thank you so much who all supported us. We hit it again. Uh, and so thanks for everyone for that. The world is full of wonder and beauty. Sure. The, the first three days of this year have not been great beyond this fundraising goal. I think this fundraising uh, goal really is the current highlight of 20, uh, 2020. Let the wonder shower. Yes. And we'll continue to let it shower because we're going to talk about... Well, 2019. Yeah. Well, and the future. And the future. Does does that mean, I just for point of fact, yeah. does that mean that anyone who donated to the drive has contributed to the greatest thing that has ever happened this year? Yes. I would say that's exactly what that means. Yeah. And uh, briefly, we're just going to look at what's happened, uh, what happened uh, around the world and uh, what could happen. Yes. And then what happened in Canada and what could happen. So shall I begin, Stefan? Please do. Okay, so 2019 saw the beginning, but not, uh, so not sorry, not the beginning, but the monumental rise of Fridays for Future, Sunrise Movement, Extinction Rebellion, and climate justice groups of all kinds. It also saw the continued theft of indigenous land around the world, and the continued deaths of land defenders as the threat of catastrophic climate change looms ever heavier. We also had the inauguration of Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro, who has opened up the Amazon and its inhabitants to armed invaders and the election of Boris Johnson in Britain, who was wishy-washy on the environment at a time when a Christian aid poll is showing that 71% of Britons think that the climate emergency is more pressing than Brexit. The decade at large has uh, seen or saw climate change move gradually to the center of the political debate, even if it's still often ignored by politicians and pundits. To sum up the 2010s, Bob Berwin wrote a piece for Inside Climate News last month in which he looks at the intensification of global warming over the hottest decade on record. He starts by pointing out the ever-worsening trend of natural disasters indicating what the future could look like under climate change, that eight of the ten warmest years on record happened in the 2010s, Arctic sea ice is disappearing, Europe shattered heat records, U.S. farm country flooded for months, and wildfires are burning earlier, longer, and more intensely. Berwin quotes Deke Arndt of NOAA as saying, quote, Every decade or half decade, we go into a new realm of temperature. When you look at the decadal averages, it becomes pretty obvious that the climate of the 20th century is gone. We're in a new neighborhood. He also quotes glaciologist Matthias Huss as saying, quote, The biggest thing that emerged looking back over the last decade is the number of extreme years that seems to go completely beyond natural variability. And here we are. In 2020. So, yeah, I think we, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I'm going to do too much of a retrospective in 2019. I think there's, I think the, I think the main story in 2019 beyond the consistent loss of, uh, of climate leadership on the political stage, Hmm. you know, whether or not it was Australia, um, uh, Brazil, obviously, you know, 
Britain in the last in the in the in the, in the tail end of the of, of the of the day of the year. It's it's you know I think that while that was sort of going, there was obviously a rise as as you've mentioned of these other groups sort of trying to bring re- real change um, from the streets. Yeah, or or for, or and, and from the streets in in a variety of ways, mm-hmm. you know, Friday's features tactics are quite different from Sunrise, and quite different from Extinction Rebellion, um, and which which are all in some ways dissimilar to the climate justice groups that we saw jo- joining the, the the fray here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And yet, the when I looked at twenty twenty and sort of the decade ahead, there to me there's like this is going to sound a little fatalistic. I apologize in advance, but you know the news again has not been great in the last two days. Um, but the, I, I, I sort of, I, if the, the 20s, you know, again, the decade of 10s, I think, defi- is defined a little bit by the time that climate change finally became a conversation that's, that, it, that sort of it continues to exp- experience the breadth of coverage that it sort of needs. Mm-hmm. You know, and I largely think, and, and even that only at the very tail end of the decade. We'd not, that was not a reality at the beginning of the decade. And... And so, and, and then especially, you know, especially when you look at that report, the UN report that came out saying we had, you know, had basically until 2030, I think it was 2031 technically, but basically you have this decade to do something and not just do something, this decade to, I believe, half emissions, you know, mm-hmm. to really, really get on this. And, and so I, I did a little bit of a, you know, thought experiment as to what I would imagine would be required to have this decade get there, basically. And, and there's sort of, there's in, there's three main pieces of I think what would have to happen, um, and the first is, is is pretty simple. The first is this ex, is what we saw uh, in 2018 with the the rise of some of these groups that expand in 2019. I think we have to see that, like the, the this can't stop the 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 increase in the growing members of of the climate movement have to continue to increase to a point in which they're overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Extinction Rebellion has has that number. I think it's 3.5 percent. Um, of people who are willing to actually get, a, I think, to, to get on the streets mm-hmm. and get arrested, um, and and we're like, we're going to need a m- continual expansion of this. It's the, that's I think that ultimately that's the only that's the only thing that's sort of the I think the undercurrent of any other change. I think that that growing and continue to be true is going to be the main piece of this. And and so the, so as that sort of inter, as, that, as that sort of movement and push grows across across countries uh, the second thing you have to do is in my opinion the you have well you have to win elections for sure but i really don't know if there is much more importance than the you know the, uh, looking this year the 2020 uh, united states election like that to me if if if, if you have another 4 years of trump uh, well we have another 4 years of trump, we might get a, an apocalypse of an entirely other uh, other scenario to be honest but Outside of that possibility, you know, four more years of complete inaction would be absolutely devastating. And it's not even inaction. It's going backwards, right? You know, they have been opening up uh, tons of parkland for more drilling. You know, they have been like slashing regulations, even regulations that the car industry doesn't even want. They've been trying to remove regulations, car industry, despite the fact that the cars want to be regulated this much. You know, it's been... You, you see it again and again and again. It's not even. It's not. It's not just the fact that we are going to have to start from zero. It's that we're going to start from negative five um, or negative ten, depending on how long the you know the, Trump remains in office. 
And and so that has to happen. And, and I think you have to see a pretty similar, which I, which is interesting. What I believe, you know, what, what some groups are trying to do uh, around the world is, you, it's not just sort of the big name elections. There's going to have to be like sort of a wave. Like you're you're going to need you're going to need like the sort of the Tea Party esque people winning these small elections. These sort of like you know people winning the the councilor seats and these things like that that sort of drive this whole momentum forward. Because to 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 enable something of this scale, everyone's going to have to be on board in some capacity, and you can't. Not, you know, as, as Canada has shown, it's one thing to have a federal leader who wants to put some type of price on carbon. It's another thing to have, you know, every premier trying to undermine that in any way possible. And that's inherently going to, you know, so, so you have to have enough people to do things. And the third um, is, is, a, is basically you have to see the collapse of the oil economy. There has to be, um, there, 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 as depressing as it sounds, there needs to be a global recession um, caused by the fact that the price of oil, or the, 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 not the price of oil, the, that, the, that the stocks or the, that the value related to the oil industry uh, is, is, uh, is undermined. And undermined directly by the fact that they cannot be looking at the future twenty years that they're looking out, and like you know, even at the end of tail end of last year, Shell released another another sycophantic, P, uh, you know, earnings report claiming that they'll not lose money or change anything that they're doing for the next 30, 20, 30 years. So it's not like they're, they, they these these companies have not changed their minds about burning more oil than exists in our current budget. That has not changed. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think so that's so the and then the what sort of impetus to the change, I think, is that you hit that recession, you see a government that's in place that's able to actually respond to that in a, uh, a holistic uh, way in, with, like, at the end of the recession, the response in the last, you know, I, I'm not economist, but the, the response in the last, I think, 80 years approximately has usually been to influx money into the system as a way to get out of a recession. The government starts spending to spend their way out of the recession. And the way, and, and so that's you know, we saw in 2008 with the, with, with the bailouts and then all the all the other money, the stimulus package that Obama put through, and I think you just need to see that, but on a unbelievable, on a grander scale. So you're saying the recession must occur, but who are you saying is causing the recession? Well, the recession would be caused by the undermining of the markets by the fact that the oil company, oil stocks would 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 plummet. Why like, are they plummeting? Because there's because currently oil stocks are based off of uh, approximately twenty year futures. Uh, so the, the value of an oil company right now is based off the concept that they will be pumping the amount of oil they have, and they have reserves to pump the same amount of oil for the next twenty years coming. So the minute that the, the minute that markets stop believing that oil, these oil companies will be able to be pumping, say that oil ten years down the road, the value of this oil company is 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 undercut. So you're predicting an investor caused recession. Uh, well, like, there's always thousands of reasons. That, like, there's a market caused recession. Well, or the fact that you know people are poli- that these oil companies are no longer seeing able to actually invest in new and new new places, and then the, yeah, then there's a disbelief in their in their market capital. You know, that's the that's sort of the you know th- that's one. And then what happens? It becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. So they lose money. People have now lost money. Oil, co- you know, and it will. It, I expect this to impact. You know, probably as not like I'm, I'm, this is. I'm definitely not a comment, but like. It would imp- it have scale similar impact of, of cascading down like the housing crisis did like the housing crisis had one moment but it scaled down to many many other sectors because this was so big mm-hmm. and the fact that we have such a big reliance on 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 oil companies and sort of all the cascading effects from that that a similar thing could happen. So you want to see new markets dry up? New markets like no, or you- the market itself dry up. Well, no, and you see the fact that the idea that, that, that we have come to a 
shared agreement that we will not be pumping as much oil in 15 years. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, and so it was like, an, I, it would be ludicrous for me to su- suggest that we are not going to be using oil tomorrow. You know, I don't think that's a reasonable position to have. Um, but I, but I think the fact that right now these company stocks are based off the fact that in what is it now, 2040, we're still use, we're still as oil based as the economy we see outside right now mm-hmm. is, um, well, if, if, if that that would be disastrous, and and climate scientists have said that forever. You know, we, we've known this for a long time. We cannot be burning that much oil in twenty years. And so, if the value of your of your business right now is based off what we're doing in twenty forty, and what your thought process is, nothing will change, and you're an oil company, that it has to be wrong. Mm. Um, and and so, like, unless we unless we get somewhere with this, you know, we're 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 we're, we're treading water at best. Mm. Um, so, anyways, so I basically think that the, 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 to wrap this up, what I think has to happen at that moment is you would need a significant investment in cash. The stimulus package would basically have to be wide enough that it would need to you know, transform the economy. Like it would have to include massive infrastructure investment. It would have to include massive shifts towards electrification and, and, and tons of incentive and, and, and a pretty strong uh, market uh, push as well towards decarbonization. And like, and, and it says a Hail Mary pass, but I think that's base. That is, that, that's where we're at. We're not, we're no longer at a scenario where, you know, a $30 price on carbon that raises maybe $2 a year for whatever is going to do it. That's just not like we, we, we've, anyone who's looked at the curves have seen that's not the case. So all oil stocks drop because their projections are wrong. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like there's currently people actually taking them to court and saying they're lying to the investors as it is, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, like, because, because of how much oil is also is how much of some of this stuff is actually at risk to regular climate change, like mm-hmm. just extreme weather, but that's a sort of separate topic, but yes, like that's, and I think that's the, you know, that's our, that, there's other ways this happens, but there's no version of this that there's no version of a transition. I think that, that does not in some ways take Include on, a recession. uh, take on. Yeah, exactly. Like lead to at least the severe dis- disruption of the oil economy for sure. Mm. Um, but let's go to a music break. Cause I do want to come back to Canada and we have a little more, we have a little more, uh, content on the Canada part. So let's, we, the Canada one is from a article uh, from the national observer friends over there, um, who, uh, Tim Gray, actually the executive director of environmental defense, made his own predictions for 2010 in Canada specifically. 2020. Uh, 2020. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be very easy to do predictions of 2010. Yeah. I think he'd get it right. Yeah. I think he'd nail it. Uh, 2020 a little harder. We'll see how he does. Uh, but uh, Saren, what are we going to listen to? Uh, continuing our new tradition of playing only Canadian Indigenous mu- musicians, unless I have a specific reason or request to do otherwise, we're going to be listening to Sug Luck today. This is Fall Away. The Green Majority is entirely listener-supported. Our goal to reach minimum solvency is to raise $300 a month. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com for as little as $1. And welcome back to The Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM, and welcome to our shared uh, history as it writes itself as we continue to write it. It is 2020. It is the 2020s. And uh, we're in for a doozy here. And uh, so we are going to continue talking about uh, 2020 and uh, also summing up 2019. And now we're moving on to what they call Canada. So in Canada in 2019, we had the government's purchase of the Trans Mountain Expansion Pipeline followed by Justin Trudeau's re-election amidst environmental backsliding by Ontario 
and Alberta. Indigenous Wet'suwet'en land and water protectors have continued to hold ground in protest of the LNG pipeline that is being constructed through their territory in BC. Uh, northern BC, we learned late in the year that the RCMP wanted to be allowed to fire live rounds at the defenders at the roadblock as it was being removed by police. And now the BC Supreme Court has decided to extend the injunction order in favor of Coastal Gaslink, the pipeline company, to criminalize Wet'suwet'en law that gives their hereditary chiefs power over their ancestral lands, which were recognized by the national, by the national Supreme Court as never having been ceded to Canada. In addition, the government is hoping to begin building the Trans Mountain expansion this year, which will go through yet more indigenous territory. We'll now look at a National Observer article by Tim Gray, the Executive Director of Environmental Defense, in which he lists 10 environmental predictions for 2020, most of which he interprets quite hopefully. I will read the first five, and Stefan will say something, then I'll read the second five. So first, he says, governments will talk more about climate adaptation, including enhancing and restoring wetlands, deltas, swamps, and forests. He says, provincial governments will tout nuclear as a climate strategy, but, is, but it's expensive and takes a long time to build, so wind, solar, hydro, and storage need to be the focus of energy discussions. He says Canada will push further to calculate the carbon sequestration and emissions of our forests, which future rules could allow us to use to look like we're doing more on climate change than we are. And forestry groups will argue that young trees are better than carbon, better for carbon, and therefore we should cut down more, while ecologists and conservation groups will question that claim. Uh, he says some politicians will continue to paint environmentalism as divisive, and that national unity is dependent upon the health of the oil and gas sector. And that Ontario, Ontarians will push back against Doug Ford's continued championing of urban sprawl through more highways and more houses in lands currently green. Yeah. So, uh, the cup man, these are these are funny. I would say that the so go by what I do think that we'll we'll hear more and more talk about adaptation. I think that's going to be constant. I think uh, in part because of just how much the insurance industry is going to be pushing this conversation, um, and the the, you know, the insurance industry watch the insurance industry the entire this entire ten years because like either it's going to be, get me more and more difficult to insure things, um, or they be more and more expensive, or something has to change. Like the insurance industry is is by far the most uh, um, it's got it's got it's got problems. Just a quick reminder for the listeners keeping score at home, the reason there hasn't been a nuclear plant built in the U.S. in like 40 years is, isn't because nobody wanted to build one. It's because literally no one would insure it. Yeah, and if you say the amount in which insurance can can start influencing policy is is going to be pretty significant. Uh, speaking of nuclear, the second one, I yeah, I, I do remember there was a thing about the provincial governments going on about mini nuclear as, as a solution, and it just sort of, it strikes me as... As as untenable mini nuclear. Yeah, they were looking for small nuclear plants. It was a it was a weird news day. Um, and and I, I but like some of the some of the most amazing stuff that's currently coming out is on the is on the on the interesting different ways that storage is, is coming along in, in a, a variety of fashions. Um, and so I, I'm I'm just going to generally agree that I think that I think that we will just especially as uh, as as the price keeps coming down. I think that will. I think at some point we'll just be, we'll get to a point where we're just expecting wind, solar, and 
and honestly, probably extensive wind and solar to, to, to make up these losses. Although I will say that many industry experts are expecting the, uh, the, the grid here in Ontario to actually get dirtier over the next 10, 20 years because of the fact that we're not building enough renewables and they'll probably be replaced by natural gas. And so there is sort of a need to push this still uh, pretty, pretty significantly. Um, uh, there's actually or, yeah, the, the, the question of whether environmentalism is divisive national unity is one that obviously drives me a little up the wall. But the, there was a report that came out, there was a study that came out, or not, sorry, a, a poll that came out quite recently, the last day or two, that said that 60% of Albertans believe, Albertans believe that Jason Kenney should focus on shifting their economy away from oil. And so mm. it's, it's, it, that's not even, that's not, the, the Canadian was more like 70 or 80%, but Albertans, even 60% of Albertans believe that. And so like, you know, whether or not that is, whether or not that means like a total rehaul or, you know, some movement, it, it at least improves this idea that it's, that while the leaders uh, or the quote unquote leaders and the and the people with mouthpieces might want to tout western alienation as a as a thing that is caused by environmentalism the albertans themselves do not agree i just i think that's really illuminating on for the my point the to, evidenced for my point not proof but evidence for my point that a significant portion of right-wing voters are voting to own the libs because mm. they want climate action but if you ask any of them what they think of justin trudeau they want to string them up right yeah 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 there's at least other things beyond climate that is that's causing this sort of you know the sort of the sort of dislike for sure and and the fifth uh that oh yes my, man i'm so I, I briefly mentioned this on on, on twitter that the amount of which doug ford is now pushing uh for urban sprawl um uh especially with with with, with these different types of things that are like uh, specifically um highways and um, you know, there's at least two new highways apparently that that, that, that he, or one new highway and then an expansion of another highway that he's pushing. Yeah, and it's like those to me are the same massive as, highways. Yeah, like and those, if, you're, if you're in Ontario, southern Ontario, you know, it's nothing but highways down here, baby. Yeah, like we like you know, it's just and I should the one the one thing is that needs to point out anytime anyone mentions highways is that it's been proven that increasing more, adding more highways lanes does not impact um, or change uh, the amount of actual, your, your commute times. More lanes just mean more, more cars. That's the only, that's the only, that's the only relation that that has. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it, like we, c we in Ontario cannot get high money about not having pipelines if we are going to build highways. They're just pipelines for cars. Um, and let's go to the next six or five. So then, uh, Mr. Gray says Canadian political parties will develop meaningful climate plans in order to address voters' concerns. He says, uh, new federal laws will protect us from chemicals like BPA, phthalates, formaldehyde, and perk. A federal ban on single-use plastics that can't be recycled properly will arise, setting the stage for making more producers more responsible for the life cycle of their plastics. Again in Ontario, Ontarians, Ontarians will rally to stop developments that threaten our forests, farms, air quality, and water supplies. And governments will move investments away from fossil fuel subsidies, and more banks, pension funds, and insurance companies will divest as well, as the tech mine TMX and Keystone XL become symbols in the fight against fossil fuel expansion. And uh, he concludes, quote, the year 2020 will kick off a decade in which the environment will be at the forefront of demands from the public, with governments and industries trying to figure out how to adapt to this altered political reality. 
the pace and scale of change needed will challenge our existing systems, and new approaches will need to be invented quickly. Count on public frustration to mount if government continues to protect old industries whose activities threaten our future. Yeah, so I, I, I do think that that last phrase is, is pretty on point. I do think that's what we're looking at. We're looking at a 2020 of increased concern, increased response, and, and, and a vast, uh, difficult road of trying to figure out what's up next. Um, uh, I, I, I like his hope that Canadian parties will develop meaningful climate plans. That's nice. Um, yeah, I will, to address those voters' concerns. Yeah, I, uh, I, will, I will believe that uh, when I see that. Uh, but the... Uh, I, I do expect uh, there does a lot of angles uh, that, that we'll see some probably some new uh, work from from the federal government on uh, on on chemicals and and plastics. That seems to be a pretty mm. an angle they're already headed. I you know I know a federal ban on single use plastics that can't be recycled is a is a relatively big one. Now again, can't be recycled is one of these things that is real. You know I'm I'm. As we've discussed previously, our ability to recycle it, it was, is is somewhat different from the actual recycling of it. You know, well, you he just collected and recycled. Wow. Okay. So he, all right. The the fact that we still only have about ten percent is not a great uh, a great indication that we're, mm. we're nailing this. But um, but I do think that you, I do think we'll see a, fa- a fair amount of energy. In part, I think because the federal government real realized that tackling actual climate change is more difficult, and so they'll want other ways to move forward on some sort of green ener- green path. And this is the way they'll do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's I, know, I, expect, I expect that to be the case. I I I'm intrigued, but I don't entirely know uh, the angle on 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 what where we're rallying to stop developments that threaten forests, farms, and air quality and water supplies. Unless that is you know the fact that unless that's related to the to the green belt and, and sort of pushing back against that, we do know that Doug Ford was largely you know in a big part of Doug Ford's the, the push of Doug Ford, especially the conservative government, did come from developers. And so mm-hmm. if there's going to be a thing that is going to cause us problems in Ontario, it will be the fact that. Right now, it very much feels like our provincial government is beholden to to sprawl developers, uh, and so so if we're trying to build a low carbon economy, we cannot keep in the same ways we can't keep building pipeline infrastructure. We can't keep building sprawl infrastructure. You know, we can't keep building uh, the idea that you can have a you know a massive home and drive two hours to work and back. That's not going to be a functional way of living. Um, and then, I like at this co- what like. I guess it depends on what governments. You know, the question of governments will invest from away from fossil fuel subsidies, and more banks, pension funds, and insurance companies will invest as well. I expect that to continue. The investment movement is growing; it's succeeding. Um, you know, our current government uh, here in Canada decided to actually, you know, invest uh, about five billion dollars uh, in buying oil infrastructure, so mm. or for something. But anyways, um, you know, so I'm not entirely convinced that that's a trend that we'll see. But but I do think that it's that that. that that overall, you know, we've seen Sweden, some of the other European banks and, and uh, other central banks move. You've seen Mark Carney still, you know, be pushing the sort of the financial sector. I do think the financial sector was financial financial sector will start moving uh, more significantly on this on this front. Um, but but I'm, I'm but I'm, I'm I'm sort of holding off. It will be interesting to see these like if. You know, I, I really do think the question will be like, you know, the tech mine is sort of this one that is coming under the radar. I think we, we've covered a little bit on the show, but not as much um, as, as, say, TMX. But I, I think that's sort of a good example of, of, of what we'll see um, in regards to 
how serious this current, you know, we we're going to be, uh, you know, because it, it, like it's one thing to be like, oh, well, Nintendo, but we also need to expand, like, because because the tech mine really is about Tarsen's expansion. You know, like, it's not, you know, it's it's about it's it and and that again is in the same way that oil infrastructure oil infrastructure the next forty years is is going to be a problem. Uh, you cannot expand the tar sands and deal with climate change. These things are very much opposed, unless to, to circle back to the one that I skipped over earlier, um, which is about Canada pushing our, our carbon sequestration question with forests. Now, this is something that Canada's been on about all the time. Canada keeps doing this. It keeps trying to get claim, get uh, get the ability to claim f- that its forests count as um, as as carbon sequestration, which is why a lot of groups will push back against the concept of net zero, because net zero does not necessarily net zero means that you could be missing some as long as other things are being reduced somewhere, and that is being done or could be done through this idea that we have forests, so it's okay. Really quick example of why that's problematic. Uh, take some small country that's been making our jeans for 50 years that's then been strip mined as the source for the labor for our goods. We kept our trees. Theirs are all poisoned. We get credit for our trees. They don't. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and the fact that we're still not you know, like we're still emitting as more that went more and more as we are refusing to to take tackle this tackle this real issue. And then you go to, you know, Mozambique and say, hey, clean up your climate act, guys. Come yes. on. Yeah. Which is basically what we've been doing. Right. And, and that's and that is the central thing is that that's why that's why you should be careful by the concept of net zero, because net zero can easily be considered uh, w- ways to um you can you can start fudging the numbers like I mean, when, but you're but isn't net zero ideally though you're actually doing something else to take it away you're not just calculating what was already there sure um, but but I think the the there aren't that many ways to remove carbon from the atmosphere uh, that would be con- that would be sort of long term real sequestration um, you know planting new forests at least would be something. You know, like if, if really, I think there's two important to understand. There's there's potentially two concepts which could be net zero. One of them is, I think, the one that Dave is thinking of, and the one Dave uh, Stefan that you're describing is the one that people use often in uh, when they're being two-faced. Hmm. Uh, I think the one that Dave is referring to is the idea that at the end of the day, there is no more carbon going into the atmosphere, which is what people think of when they hear that. But that's not really what you're talking about. It, well, it's certainly possible. You could create a world in which you had enough, say, those giant fans that Alberta's developing that sucks carbon out of the atmosphere that would suck enough uh, uh, you know, carbon out of the atmosphere to make this work. Like That could exist. But more likely, you'd see each individual country do its own carbon math, decide it's carbon neutral, while carbon is still increasing. Like that's like this is my cynicism speaking, obviously. But well, that, it's kind of like saying something's natural just because something's na- just because something's natural doesn't mean it's good for you. It also doesn't mean it's not natural. It's just that they're two slightly different things. Right. Yeah. And and so and th- th- exactly. And I think like you know, I this is not me to say that we should not be aiming for net zero. I think we should be aiming for for as low emissions as possible, and we're going to need to absorb a lot of emissions as well. I think that both of those things can be. True true um but i do think that there's a like my concern is that we get to a place where every government in the, in the world is claiming their net zero and yet somehow carbon emissions are still increasing and we don't know how and, yeah, and i can see that and that to me is sort of the the world that i'm sort of fearing but let's go to another music break because we've got to get back to the show because yeah uh or you want to go straight to the yeah well i was gonna uh, we had a long music break why don't uh, sure dave do you want to just introduce the clip and we'll just go straight to the clip Okay, sure. So we're going to listen to a 20-minute piece I put together based on, uh, well, directly from uh, YouTube sources to uh, illustrate our climate conundrum. 
I want to start out by addressing the younger people in the room, which is the majority of you younger than me. And what I want to say to you is slightly stark, is this, that your leaders have failed you, your governments have failed you, your parents and their generation have failed you, your teachers have failed you. People are very angry, people are in a rage, people don't want their kids to die. You know, this is a, there's no words to describe how serious it is. We are facing almost certainly um, changes around the world which are going to bring an end to this civilization with extreme uh, prejudice. And so we need to think about what comes uh, after it, considering the possibility seriously that that is what will happen, that this civilization will collapse. We fundamentally failed. I mean, I failed, other activists have failed, campaigners have failed, we've all failed. The fact of the matter is, we're facing mass starvation in the next 10 years, social collapse, and the possible extinction of human race. It couldn't be worse. So, well, with respect, I don't think the science is saying that we're all going to die within six years. No, 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 no. What we say, what, we, what the science is saying is, if there's not fundamental major change in the structure of the global economy in the next 10 years, then we're heading for catastrophe. So and that, is, that, it, it, that situation has come about over 30 years of failure. Failure by the elites, failure by the governments, and failure by campaigners. So your message is entirely about failure, it's about negativity, it is in a way, I suppose, a howl of rage and despair. That's right, it is. Do you want to bring down the, the capitalist system as we know it? Is, is that but the capitalist system is going to be brought down by itself. The capitalist system, the global system that we're in, is in the process of destroying itself. Yeah. The reason for that is because it's destroying the climate. The climate is what's necessary to grow food. If you can't grow food, there'll be starvation and social collapse. You're telling me that you're going to take the public with you when a former police chief is suggesting that you actually are anarchists who want to bring down the state and our democratic system. You think the public's ready for that? The public is now aware that the elites are taking them to their death because that's what the science is saying. You, uh, you're carefully manipulating this, aren't you? You said people will see in the evening news ten-year-olds and grannies getting dragged off by the police. When I talk about total collapse, um, that could mean simply... If grannies no turn up to a meeting are in tears um, about what's happening about, um, to their grandchildren, breeding pairs it's, in not, it's not what um, I'm doing that makes uh, them sit down on the road. It could it's mean the same complete human extinction teenagers. and extinction Teenagers of, shitting um, themselves about what's happening for the future. They've got another... 50, uh, 60, 70 Earth. years to live uh, on this or it planet. Could be worse than that. By it that could time, be, there could be uh, only a the, billion uh, people left. Of virtually all, I mean, that's um, six billion life. people. Why could it be as bad as that? From a starvation because if something like the really and this is the, this is uh, the biggest problem is the elites um, and the BBC and the conventional media has simply not grasped the enormity of what's happening. There isn't very good, reliable science on this. Never mind the elites. You're listening, but you're not emotionally connecting. And this is the problem. 
I've just spent uh, a year doing interviews uh, like this with journalists, and journalists are not Earth emotionally on connecting uh, with what's happening. Uh, I'm talking about um, is, uh, the slaughter, death and starvation of six billion uh, people. That's why this Venus century. is a lot hotter that's what the than Mercury, predicts. even though Venus that's is a lot further from the sun. We're on. Uh, and that than, uh, requires absolutely desperate measures to stop possible. it. Uh, is that the if the elites don't respond to non-violent uh, action, and that would be the then you know what's going to come next. Possibly even of all life. If you tell the citizens of a country that the government is facilitating their death, then you can expect one thing. And when it comes to this mass participation, you've said thousands on the streets. Do you really believe that with the methodology you've talked about in this interview, the mindset you bring to this, you are going to win the hearts and minds of the public, not just in this country, but publics around the world? I think it's inevitable. I think it's inevitable, yes. I mean, the major question now is, have we left it too late? And most scarily of all uh, is the situation... A critical mass of people are starting to realise what's going on, which is the elites and the governments aren't actually going to do anything. They're not going to fulfil their primary responsibility, which is to look after the people. It will happen quickly. This isn't something that builds up gradually. Nothing's happening, and then something happens. Bang! Your message is so unrelentingly bleak and negative. It's not a message, right? Uh, when you go well to the doctor and he tells you you have cancer, that's not a message, it's the science. Um, it's well the science. Us into catastrophic we human beings are making some progress. We are cutting emissions, for example, in the energy sector. Yeah, I've just told you, that's total nonsense. It's total nonsense. You, you see no room be for positivity and hope. Hope, that word hope. You see no room for hope. When you go to the doctor, the doctor's got a responsibility to tell you whether you've got cancer or not and whether it's terminal or not. We're talking about turning around the entire supertanker of the world's economy, the entire supertanker of the world's uh, civilization. Daddy. To keep all this in the confines of your own mind. You do not do, you do not do any more black shoe in which I have lived like a foot for 30 years, poor and white, barely daring to breathe or hurt you. Daddy, I have had to kill you. You died before I had time, marble heavy, a bag full of God, ghastly statue with one gray toe, big as a Frisco seal, and a head in the freakish Atlantic, where it pours bean green over blue in the waters off beautiful Nosset. I used to pray to recover you, ach du, in the German tongue in the Polish town, scraped flat by the roller of wars, wars, wars. But the name of the town is common. My Polak friend says there are a dozen or two. So I never could tell where you put your foot, your root. I never could talk to you. The tongue stuck in my jaw. It's stuck in a barbed wire snare. Eeh, 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 eeh. I could hardly speak. I thought every German was you. And the language obscene, an engine, an engine, chuffing me off like a Jew. A Jew to Dachau, Auschwitz, Belsen. I began to talk like a Jew. I think I may well be a Jew. Our house is on fire. I am here to say our house is on fire. 
we are less than 12 years away from not being able to undo our mistakes. But Homo sapiens have not yet failed. Yes, we are failing, but there is still time to turn everything around. Now is the time to speak clearly. It's so simple that even a small child can understand it. You say nothing in life is black or white, but that is a lie, a very dangerous lie. Either we choose to go on as a civilization or we don't. That is as black or white as it gets. We must change almost everything in our current societies. Adults keep saying we owe it to the young people to give them hope. But I don't want your hope. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day. And then I want you to act. I want you to act as if you would in a crisis. I want you to act as if the house was on fire. Because it is. So, Daddy, I'm finally through. The black telephone's off at the root. The voices just can't run through. If I've killed one man, I've killed two. The vampire who said he was you and drank my blood for a year. Seven years, if you want to know. Daddy, you can lie back now. There's a stake in your fat black heart, and the villagers never liked you. They are dancing and stamping on you. They always knew it was you. Daddy, daddy, you bastard, I'm through. I am who I am because somebody loved me. Somebody cared for me. Somebody attended to me. Somebody was concerned about my trajectory in life, my pilgrimage. My dear brother Melvin Rogers knows what I'm talking about, that magnificent book on Dewey. That any time you talk about humanity, that Latin humando, which means burial. We don't need to read Heidegger to be reminded that we're beings toward death. Even death is too abstract. I follow Vico. That we're beings toward extinction of our body. So that brief move from mama's womb to tomb is not long. And the question becomes, what kind of human being are you going to choose to be? What kind of virtues and visions and values will you enact and embody in the short time that you are in space and time, that death sentence in space and time that the great Franz Kafka reminds us of? Nobody gets out alive through the grave in terms of where we're headed, that culinary delight of terrestrial worms. So it's an existential question. We can't use the defense mechanisms of the academy and keep it so abstract and distant and then show how smart we are. I'm highly suspicious of the cult of smartness. Let the phones be smart. We need to be wise. We need to have compassion. We need to be willing to sacrifice for something bigger 
than us. So I begin on an existential note. You got to do something. You have to make a choice. You got to take a risk. You got to be willing to pay a cost. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night. What a mortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry. In what distant deeps or skies burnt the fire of thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire? What the hand dare seize the fire? And what shoulder and what art could twist the sinews of thy heart? And when thy heart began to beat, what dread hand and what dread feet? What the hammer, what the chain? In what furnace was thy brain? What the anvil, what dread grasp dares its deadly terrors clasp? When the stars drew down their spears and watered heaven with their tears, did he smile his work to see? Did he who made the lamb make thee? Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of thy night. What a mortal hand or eye dare frame thy fearful symmetry. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night what immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry in what distant deeps or skies burnt the fire of thine eyes on what wing dare he aspire what the hand dare seize the fire and what shoulder and what art could twist the sinews of thy heart and when thy heart began to beat, what dread hand and what dread feet? The Trans Mountain Pipeline has a long and successful history in Canada, from the first discovery of oil in Leduc, Alberta, to the remarkable engineering feat of building the pipeline across the Rockies from northern Alberta to Burnaby, BC in 1953. Sixty years later, the Trans Mountain Pipeline is planning to expand to keep up with growing demand. Right now, Canada is losing out on more than $50 million a day in oil revenues. That means a lot of jobs and tax revenues, more than $15 million for federal and provincial government services every day. The proposed Trans Mountain Expansion Project will provide a lasting legacy. Visit transmountain.com to explore local opportunities and see the benefits of our proposed expansion. Earth. Magnificent, inspiring, powerful and complex. Created more than four billion years ago. It has survived the Ice Ages, the Dinosaur Age 
the Iron Age, and for a split second of its existence, the arrival of man and all that he brings. It's hard to comprehend the depth and dynamic nature of Earth's atmosphere. The balance of natural gases that support life on our planet? Nitrogen, oxygen, argon, helium, methane, neon, krypton, carbon dioxide, and hydrogen. Over the years, of all the carbon dioxide produced in the world, only 3% of that is man-made, and only 1.3% of that is made in Australia. And for that, the Australian government wants to bring the economy to its knees, say no to the carbon tax. This message is brought to you by the Galileo Movement. For more information or to support this message, go to Galileo Movement. Please join me in welcoming our Premier, Jason Kenney. Uh, before we have a chance to hear from the Premier, I just want to say he does not represent me. This is a cesspool of hypocrisy. If you say that you can do... Thank you. Thank you. My friend has died from an opioid addiction that he got directly on the oil, on, or on the oil field. My friend, this is how it goes when you protest in this province. Then you are manhandled by these dudes. Let him know that. Let him speak. Now that I have... Get rid of him. There is imperative for all of you to do something. My generation cannot handle it anymore. I have to take risk to my body. There comes a time when the machine, the operation of the machine, is so odious that you have to put your body on that machine in order to stop it. And I'm sorry to do this, my friends. Your time is important. Mayor Nancy, you know better than that. These cops are going to put a elbow on my face. Please help me. You know this is not right. You know that I shouldn't be treated this way. Come on. My friends, you have a moral imperative. We all live on this planet. Quit lying to yourselves. That's my point. Is to help you stop lying to yourself. I'm sure you're a good guy.
All right, we are back. Thank you so much for that nice compilation, uh, Dave. I thought that was a nice mashup of the uh, the ads with the uh, protesters. Um, I felt listening to that person be dragged out of the room that they were clearly in motivating for my final piece of commentary for today. <clears throat> um, I've been graciously allowed the last five minutes. So last week... <clears throat> I made a comment that I realized it in my hindsight on the way out the door. I sort of, I wished I'd made the, the end of it and I wanted to come back to it. And then I have a great post that will help me do that. Just quickly, two weeks ago. Last two weeks week ago. we had I, a, I keep we, saying that. Yeah. That's right. Uh, two weeks ago. Uh, so at the end of the show, somebody, there was a piece of listener mail really quick. I only have a few minutes here. So at the end of the show, you can go back and listen to it two weeks ago. Uh, but someone sent us a, a, an email saying, how do you deal with difficult, uh, you know, climate denying right winger relatives over the holidays? Uh, I think my comments largely stand, so I'm not going to repeat them. Uh, but I did say something at the end, which was sort of flippantly said, which I want to expand on because I did mean it, but it was not at all clear what I meant. So, and that was, you know, don't be afraid to punch people on the nose. Obviously I didn't mean that literally. But I, I want to be clear about how I did mean that. So when you're confronting people, we talked about, uh, you know, don't be afraid to be intense. But the trick when I meant punch people in the nose, I meant don't be afraid to be intense in the sense that you need, you know, it's a crisis. It's like what Greta was just saying a minute ago. We don't need to say I'm concerned about climate change. You can say I'm freaking terrified about climate change. Um, you can be intense or you can be personal. Just never be both. If you're going to be personal, you're going to deal with a specific person, out comes your compassion and your information. And that's when you start asking them questions. You let them tell you why they're so excited about it and why they hold their position. But until that point, don't be afraid to punch people in the nose. And I'm going to read what I meant by that. Here's a comment on uh, by someone I actually very much like and recommend you follow if you're on LinkedIn. His name is uh, Michel Garneau. Uh, he has nothing to do with the environment whatsoever, but I connected with him a while ago and I comment on his posts. His post, which was on a completely different topic, is very simple. It says, the younger generation isn't entitled. They're just not afraid to ask what they want in exchange for spending 50% of their waking hours in the service of someone else's dream. That seems fair to me. Uh, there's hundreds of likes, there's 30 comments. This was on someone who mostly talks about business. Here was my response. Please forgive my soapbox for a minute, but it's the holiday season and that for me means reality check time. At this time should be for thinking about those you love. We all feel entitled to a livable world, the same one that many in the older generation made their livings off of and those retirements you're looking forward to now or are enjoying now or looking forward to or are now enjoying were built through no fault of your own on the natural resources of this world. Those resources are now gone. We should be entitled to the same world you guys were. But as a society, with all due respect, y'all screwed it up. In case anyone was wondering why some of us are so salty sometimes about being called entitled when we complain about the world you all enjoyed not being allowed to be enjoyed by us, we get it called entitled and told to be quiet. We came with science and asked for change. You said no. We came with economists and asked for change. You said no. We came with tears, the bodies of dead activists, animals, and indigenous people, and you still said no. The worst most of you will ever experience for, being, for all of this is being called OK Boomer, while we try to make the, our lives out of the ashes of yours. You will say, not me, not I, I didn't do it, and yet, here we are. That was an example of what I meant when I was talking about punching people in the nose. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to call a spade a spade. And, and be accurate and be specific and you can be intense. Just don't be personal. If you're going to be personal, ask questions, turn out, the, turn out the niceness. You can be intense, you can be personal, never be both. That's what I meant. Thank you. Uh, th thank you, Zaren. Uh, we are running out of, of time now. We're at 11.59. Uh, we promised to be, uh, this is perhaps one of our more depressing shows ever. Uh, so we promised to maybe, I'm going to say, 
at least 5% more optimism uh, the rest of the year. That's my suggestion. Uh, Is that our resolution? Our resolution. From, from this show, 5% more optimism right. uh, for the rest of the next 51 episodes. All right. Uh, but thanks so much, everyone. Have a great week, and we'll see you all next week. Bye.